from ABC7 New York, this is Eyewitness News Extra Time. And we are following breaking news. New York cops raced to find a masked man believed to be riding the subway after stabbing at least five strangers in a spree of unprovoked attacks in New York City. And good evening, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Eyewitness News Extra Time. I'm Bill Ritter. We begin with that breaking news. The NYPD on high alert. They are pouring cops into the subways and asking for the public to be aware and to help after a string of stabbings. The attacker suspected of randomly stabbing five people in Queens over the past nine days. All the victims survived. Cops also investigating whether the same person is responsible for a separate stabbing in the subway in Brooklyn. By the way, 75 Detectives are on this case. Eyewitness News reporter Josh Heinegger also on this case. He's at NYPD headquarters in Lower Manhattan tonight with the very latest. Josh. Yeah, Bill, 75 detectives and probably thousands of patrol officers who have flooded, as you said, into the subway and into neighborhoods all throughout the city as they try to search for this guy. I want to direct your attention to one thing that you said, Bill. No one has been killed so far, which is hard to imagine in these series of five and possibly six escalating attacks over the last week and a half or so. Let's show you video uh, taken from surveillance cameras uh, in various of these attacks over the last uh, couple of days. Uh, police have investigative techniques they use to try to get identifications from people based on images like this. But the problem is, as you can see there, this guy has a hood on and a mask on his face and nothing that they've been able to do so far has gotten them a name. And so they very urgently late this afternoon came out and asked the public for help in trying to put a name to that suspect so that they can try to find him and get him off the street. We could show you video inside the subway. As you said, Bill, they have surged the subway, what they refer to as a level three mobilization. That's the second highest level of mobilization the NYPD has, which means assets from all across the city and every police command are now in the subway all over trying to see if people if they can potentially find this person uh, because they think there's a chance he's using it to get around a very uh, an extraordinary situation for the NYPD they're treating it with enormous urgency here's what the police commissioner and the chief of patrol had to say just a little while ago and we're here today because somebody knows him they know his name they know where he lives, and they know who his friends are. And they know the fastest, safest way to get this menace off of our streets. And we are going to find him, and we're going to do that with your help. We want to flood transit with a level three mobilization. Each borough supplied cops, we surge the system, platforms, and moving trains, giving out the pictures, the presence. That posture is going to remain 24-7 until this person is apprehended. Now let's take a step back and talk about this escalating and very disturbing series of random and seemingly unprovoked attacks. The first one was nine days ago, and then there was nothing for a little more than a week. And then in the course of perhaps the last 36 hours or so between yesterday and this morning, uh, he is believed to have struck four more times. These are random, unprovoked knifing attacks. There's a sixth on a subway in Brooklyn uh, that might actually in the end be attributed 
attributed to this suspect as well. The police have not yet confirmed that. Uh, like I said, they are concerned that he seems to be increasing the intensity of the attacks, the frequency of the attacks, and it's hard to imagine, as I said, that no one yet has been killed. Police are hoping it stays that way. Uh, if someone recognizes him, they're hoping that that person will call police immediately so they can try to find him and get him off the street. Bill. Josh, this is just so confusing to most people. First of all, it's, it's, it's frightening to most uh, New Yorkers. Crime, major crime has gone down, but this is the kind of stuff that really makes people very nervous. What about your kids who go on the subway to go to school? All that stuff is, you know, you know, letting the letting the lights just shine up when you're talking about fear, and that's a very big deal right now. Well, right. And, it, you know, it, it gets to the larger issues that we've been talking about, Bill, for quite some time, uh, not just about criminal justice reform, but also about the mental health problem yep. in the city. Uh, there were several instances where he was said to have been speaking in sort of gibberish, according to the victim in that case. Uh, there was another case where he was on a bus and provoked an argument with uh, an, a strap hanger on a bus trying to seat. get that person's yeah. seat. Yeah. And then Exactly. So, so it's an, sort of an escalating series of events that would imply that he's, you know, potentially emotionally disturbed, which would track with a rise in in that type of incident and that population on the streets, uh, which has been a real problem for the Adams administration. Yes, and and you know, listen. Yesterday, this the big the big story was the violence involving two officers who were shot in a domestic violence case where mm -hmm. the guy was beating up his mother and he grabbed a gun and shot two of the cops and now now today um as an aside i was a little surprised but maybe i shouldn't have been and uh, maybe he was trying to make a statement here that uh, mayor adams who we talked to just moments after that press conference that you were at and asked some really important questions uh he he was not there and that might have been the first major time in the last two years since he's been mayor that he hasn't been in a situation like that Yeah, so I, I don't I don't know uh, necessarily why he wasn't. I know that the police are certainly taking this very seriously. Obviously, he was on our air just a half hour before this uh, this event with uh, with you uh, guys in the studio. And so uh, you know, I think I think City Hall you know says they're taking it very seriously. Yeah. You have the police commissioner, you have the chief of patrol, the chief of detectives there, and and so you know I don't I I wouldn't necessarily draw any conclusions from that, um, but. Uh, you know, it's it is it is notable that he's been very visible yeah. uh, at events like this uh, throughout you know his administration, um, and and uh, and he wasn't at this one. But uh, but you know we I, I don't exactly have an answer for why. Right? No, I don't think we do either. It was just an observation. Uh, you yeah. just asked some big questions today at the press conference, and we appreciate it as viewers. Uh, and and I know you're going to be working on the story tonight for Eyewitness News at 11 o'clock after the basketball game. So good luck to you, and uh, keep us posted. Thanks, Bill. All right, Josh Heidegger reporting tonight from Lower Manhattan. As we continue with Eyewitness News Extra Time tonight, a tense scene in court today in Lower Manhattan as Donald Trump faces his rape accuser, E. Jean Carroll. Is the former president trying to use the courts as a political show? We're going to take a deeper dive when we come back. Welcome back. A turbulent and emotional time in court today in Lower Manhattan in the defamation trial of Donald Trump. New York writer E. Jean Carroll, who won her case against Trump for sexual abuse, telling the jury today that she's being verbally attacked by Trump and his followers, including some vulgar messages. And the judge today cracking down on some of the comments coming from the Trump defense table. Loud enough, he says, that the jury can hear what they're saying. 
Eyewitness News reporter NJ Burkett with the story from Lower Manhattan. Donald Trump returned to federal court for a second straight day. But for how long? As Eugene Carroll testified about Trump's repeated lies and the daily threats from some of his mean-spirited followers, Trump seemed to offer a running commentary from the defense table, saying it is a witch hunt. It really is a con job, according to Ms. Carroll's attorneys, who pleaded with the judge to rein Trump in. Judge Lewis Kaplan threatened to expel Trump outside the jury's presence, telling him, I understand you are probably very eager for me to do that. Trump threw up his hands. I would love it. I would love it. I know you would, the judge answered, because you can't control yourself. Later, Trump accused the judge of being biased. The judge is totally protective of them. And frankly, anybody in that court would see it. It's frankly, it's a disgrace. That's probably one of the reasons our country is going to hell. The former magazine columnist is demanding $10 million in damages, claiming Trump defamed her after she went public with decades-old allegations that he sexually assaulted her in a dressing room at Bergdorf Goodman. Ms. Carroll was awarded $5 million after winning her civil suit for sexual battery and defamation last year. But Trump has not simply denied the allegations. He has publicly mocked Ms. Carroll, impugning her integrity and her motives, both before the verdict and since. This jury will decide whether she's entitled to additional damages. Previously, I was known simply as a journalist, and now I'm known as a liar, a fraud, and a whack job, she told the jury. He's continued to lie. He lied last month. He lied on Sunday. He lied yesterday. Under cross-examination, she was forced to admit that she deleted some of the death threats, prompting the defense team to demand a mistrial. The judge denied that and told the jury to disregard it. Ms. Carroll was also forced to admit that she sought publicity after filing her lawsuits, but she insisted she did so to inspire other women to speak out. Cross-examination is expected to continue here tomorrow. In Lower Manhattan, NJ Burke at Channel 7, Eyewitness News. Joining us now with more insight into all this, Andrew Rice is a writer for New York Magazine. Uh, Andrew, thank you for joining us, really appreciate it. Your last book was on Donald Trump, is that right? Well, the 2000 election, in which Donald Trump ran in. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, so, so, you know, explain to us what's really going on here. I, a lot of our political folks say, look, this is really what he wants. He doesn't want to be in the campaign trail. He wants to do a little combination of things. So he flies from Iowa to, to trial, then up to New Hampshire, then back in the trial. And it, this is really what he wants, because he, this, is, this is his new form of big crowds talking to them. He, instead, he's doing it through the courthouse. Yeah, I mean, I think he's he's doing something that no one's ever really done before. I don't uh, I don't think in American politics, which is uh, embracing um, the fight against the legal system. Um, normally, I think it would, it's fair to say that uh, any politician, let alone a presidential candidate, would um, would would shy away from um, having their uh, having having their name in a sentence uh, that includes the word rape. Um, but uh, Donald Trump has uh, has 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 embraced this and has said he wants to be there for every minute of this trial. Listen, you know, you remember what he said, you know, to the TV news show about what he in, in that that 10 days before the election. There's no other person in the history of this country running for office that would have been elected saying something like that. But Donald Trump said, you know, listen, uh, I 
I could shoot someone on on Fifth Avenue and no one would no one would worry about it. Yeah, I mean, I think with this trial, he's getting quite close to, to testing that that, that thesis. Yeah. Um, he he's he's uh, said even in depositions for this trial, he's repeated the same thing they said on Access Hollywood about, you know, if you're a celebrity, they let you do it and, and things like that. He said, yeah, actually, that's true. Uh, historically, that's been true. He said that in a in a sworn deposition. So he's not um, he's not at all shying away from things that he said in the past. Um, and I think it's important to note for your for your viewers that um, for the purposes of this trial, uh, he can't contest that he uh, that he that he sexually assaulted uh, Miss Carroll. Um, the a previous jury has already found that he did that, and this trial is just about damages. So he's actually going and sitting through testimony that he really can't contest uh, as a legal matter. He can contest as a political matter, of course. But as far as this jury is concerned, that's already been proven. Right. It's a little like what happened in the in the other trial with his businesses. You know, he's already been found guilty of that, and. Now he's got to have a penalty, and that'll be by the end, sometime the end of this month. Let me ask you this about how people are going to react to him. Uh, listen, a certain percentage of the population is, is a you know, hard-line supporter of Donald Trump's, and he's sticking it to the man every one of these indictments. He's got four indictments, and then other trials he's going through. But what about the people? Uh, and and if, if you've talked to some people about this or what's your perspective on this, we'd be interested in it. What about the people that say, you know what? <laughs> he had his time. Maybe I, they even liked him back then. But this crosses a line. We cannot have a president, a man wanting to be president, uh, going into the Oval Office and saying, you know what, I, I was found guilty about something, but I'm going I'm to change that really quickly by my first day on, in office. A lot of people will not go in saying, I'm going to vote for him anyway. I mean, I think that's a that's a that's a theory that remains to be tested. Um, hmm. You know, he hasn't been convicted in any of these trials. It's it's important to note that the that the case that the Eugene previous Eugene Carroll case that I referred to earlier was a yeah. civil trial. So he hasn't he hasn't been found uh, guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. So that's that's an important thing to to, to note. But um, as far as what people voters will or will not tolerate. I think Donald Trump, uh, they showed a clip in court today uh, of a CNN interview that Donald Trump did uh, where he was asked about about the verdict in the previous trial, the previous Eugene Carroll trial. And he said, uh, I don't care because my, my poll numbers keep going up every time they do one of these things. And and um, Donald Trump uh, says a lot of things that aren't true, but that's something that is true. His numbers do keep going up. So yep. um, so the question is, is really, you know, are, are some of our assumptions about what people will and won't tolerate as voters uh, flawed? Well, that's an interesting point to make. I really appreciate your insight. Andrew Rice from New York Magazine, thank you for joining us. Uh, thanks a lot. All right, good luck. As we continue with Iowa News Extra Time tonight, the battle over what books can be on the shelves at libraries, Hoboken becoming a book sanctuary. Now there's a movement to make other cities book sanctuaries as well. Welcome back to Extra Time. Last fall, Hoboken became the first book sanctuary city in New Jersey. The city council voting unanimously for that designation. It is in response to book bans implemented in many parts of the country, sadly, often targeting stories about people of color and the LGBTQ community. The move prevents books from being restricted and protects endangered books. But the idea of banning certain books 
Well, that is not going away. Joining us now to discuss that and much more, Jenny Poo, director of the Hoboken P Public Library. And Jenny, so much, yeah, thank you so much for, for joining us. You're also co-chair, I should say, of the New Jersey Library Association Public Policy Committee, and you work with the National American Library Association's Policy Corps, Unite Against Book Bans. How big a problem is this around the country right now? First of all, thank you so much. It's great to be here. It, book bans have been an all-time high since the American Library Association has been tracking this data. Mm. Uh, last year, we saw a 20% increase over the previous year. It's a real problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and where's it going? Because I know a lot of places, a lot of small mm -hmm. towns, uh, a lot of p places in the middle of the country, this is a big deal to, to really yes. crack down on book bans. Yeah, that is. And what we're seeing is a response to that. The fact is most Americans oppose book bans overwhelmingly. Um, and what we see, what we did here in Hoboken, as you mentioned, we became the first book sanctuary in the state. And now there are nine book sanctuary libraries, but certainly there are thousands of these kind of libraries all across the country. And what we're seeing across the country is legislation on both sides. Uh, there's legislation pending here in New Jersey because what people want is the freedom to read. And so that's what we're looking ahead to is Americans really treasure the First Amendment, the freedom to read, the freedom to think. Um, they love this about our country. It's fundamentally, fundamentally democratic. So that's what we're seeing ahead for 2024. Right, so you just hit, I think, the bigger issue right on the head. And let's explore that a little bit because we're talking about democracy here and freedom. Yes. And that's what we're really talking about. Otherwise, what do we have? We have Fahrenheit 451, right? And, and, yes. and that's just frightening. I was frightening when I read it as a kid and then saw the movie. It's frightening now when I just even say it. Yeah, agreed. You know, we teach people empathy, right? Walk in someone's shoes for a day. What better way to do that than to read a story about someone else's life that you've never known about? I mean, we always say books are windows into other worlds. And now more than ever, we need to open up more windows, not close them. Right. So for the parents who might be sitting here listening to this and saying, OK, Jenny, that's great. You know, we have freedom, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, I'm a parent and I don't want my kids reading certain books. Mm -hmm. You're not saying they can't do that. Right. You're just saying you can't make it public like that and ban it for everybody. I'm a parent, too, and I will approve you know i have the final say of what my kids can or can't read that is your duty but absolutely just because i don't like a certain title doesn't mean i have to tell everyone else that you don't have access to that book absolutely okay so you're you know listen you're in hoboken it's kind of a uh, a blue state uh, although there's certainly a you know wide range of politics in in, uh, in new jersey uh, what are people saying to you about this have you had any kind of bad feedback or even horrible things said to you or written to you <laughs> uh i've i've uh, in hoboken it's been overwhelmingly positive uh when the city council became um approved that resolution yeah. i had so many people come up on the street i'm so proud for us to be a book sanctuary and in fact other states have reached out how do we become a book sanctuary and what do i say here to the listeners is anyone can be a book sanctuary you don't need to be a library you can start with a bookshelf at home or a corner in your apartment. It's really that easy. Yeah, and where, where are we headed in the future about this? How big a deal is this gonna be, these sanctuaries? 
Oh, I, I'm optimistic that there will be more. And look, whether you call it a book sanctuary or a book corner or a free little library, I say more libraries, the better. And go to your public library, go to your free public library, a little library, create your own book sanctuary. Um, I think um, libraries in general are really having a moment right now. And so I think you'll see more from us, not less. Well, some of that moment is being caused by people like you. And uh, we salute you, Jenny. <laughs> who uh, director of the Hoboken Public Library. Uh, good luck and thank you for joining us tonight. Thank you. Go to your public library. Thank you so much. There you go. We need more of them. Thanks, Jenny. As we continue with Iowa News Extra Time, the deep freeze, uh, taking a live look outside meteorologist Jeff Smith joins us with how cold it's going to continue to get and how far away is spring. The snow's not the big picture, it's the ice that's the big picture. It's really dangerous to walk outside. It's like New Yorkers forgot how to clean out their, uh, their it, sidewalks. Right? Yeah. yeah, and it's gonna take a while for that to naturally melt because we are in the deep freeze right through the weekend. Here's a look at this winter weather advisory already issued ahead of Friday's storm for much of New Jersey. This will likely be extended into the rest of the tri-state area. Clear skies out there right now and it's perfectly sunny, not a cloud in the sky during the day today, but it only managed to get up to 24 for a high. Right now sitting at 23, that west wind at nine miles per hour, sending our wind chill down to about 13 degrees. 24, by the way, 15 degrees below average for this time of the year. Actually got down to 17, our coldest of the season so far earlier this morning. Have some good news along the Passaic River, where you've been dealing with that major flooding the past couple of weeks. Finally, at Pine Brook, this will fall below flood stage after midnight tonight. So some good news there. The bad news is we get some winter weather coming into the area. Cloudier tomorrow, a few afternoon flurries, mainly north of New York City. Could even be a fresh dusting of snow well to the north of the city. And then this other storm comes in on Friday. One to three inches of snow generally across the area. Expect slippery streets and sidewalks, especially considering how cold it is coming into this storm. And then windy and pretty brutally cold this weekend, especially during the day on Saturday. So lower to middle 20s across the board in New York City right now. You got teens off to the north and west where it feels like two. That's your wind chill at this hour at a place like Newburgh. So clouds increase during the day tomorrow. Obviously a cold morning out there, low 20s in the city, teens in the normally colder spots. A couple of flurries showing up. Uh, especially during the afternoon hours and mainly north and west of New York City. And where they're more persistent, there could be a little fresh dusting of snow over the higher elevations of the Catskills. But the main show comes in during the day on Friday. Right off the bat, early Friday morning, could be some snowflakes arriving right around daybreak west and south of New York City, and then quickly overspreading the area mid to late morning. So the latter part of the morning commute could be impacted by this. And again, it's going to quickly accumulate on roadways with these temperatures being so cold. The entire area getting some light snow, occasionally moderate snow right through the afternoon on Friday, and then everything kind of pivots offshore. The last place where the snow ends would be over eastern Long Island down the Jersey Shore by later on Friday night. And then the big story Saturday, the brutal cold it'll feel like between zero and 10 degrees above zero uh, with that wind blowing in. One to three inches of snow across much of the area. The best chance for three inch totals or even maybe a little bit more than that. The southern half of New Jersey, they'll be closer to that developing offshore storm. Clear to partly cloudy for tonight. Breezy and cold teens in many outlying areas down to 22 in Midtown. You get that west southwest wind diminishing to 10 to 20 miles per hour. Plenty of clouds, a few flurries in the afternoon, especially north of the city tomorrow. 34 could be that fresh dusting well north. It's mostly cloudy. Some snow arriving toward daybreak west and south of New York City very late tomorrow night into 
Friday morning and then overspreading the entire area during the day on Friday. Again, a general one to three inch snowfall making things slick. 31 frigid Saturday, 24 feeling like single numbers, 31. So still below freezing Sunday. And then we're talking about thawing out Monday and especially Tuesday into Wednesday. 40s will have never felt so good, Bill. We'll send it back over to you. I love it. All right. Thank you. Jim. All right. That wraps up this edition of Eyewitness News Extra Time. Remember, we'll be back here on Eyewitness News at 11 on Channel 7 after the bas basketball game.